Jesus said, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy, I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. He's not kidding. He's not lying. So if you've been coming to church for years and you don't find rest for your soul here, either I'm not preaching it or you're not paying attention. Let's both take, take some you know, personal responsibility here. Yeah. Um, but this is a hospital for your soul. And it's not about me and my personality. I can be energetic. I can be polarizing. It's about the word that I believe with all my life that you called me here to keep telling you no matter what else comes. And that word is that Jesus promises rest for your soul. It can be hard to find rest for your soul these days. It is for me. There's so many stories that I hear that terrify me. And more and more, they're not just stories from far away. There's those too. There's lots of stories close by. And the hardest part is the emotions of all of it seem to be one big knot in my stomach most days. But Jesus says there's a solution to this. And I really, in my age maybe, um, am coming to believe I missed some pieces and it goes a little bit like this. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. Lutherans, our problem right now is that we've spent 100 years figuring out how all the other Christians say it wrong. And now we won't use those words even if they're in the Bible. And we've kind of cut off our nose in a way. We can talk to ourselves about what we know is true, but we don't exactly find encouragement in the word sanctification, do we? Or justification even, really, right? And we, we could, but I don't think it's going to be by me lecturing you about Lutheran words, right? Which is kind of how I did it energetically for a long time. Um, I think those words are still important, especially when we find them in the Bible. But what I think is more important than the way we talk about how other Christians aren't right is the way we talk right to each other from the text of scripture. And that means for us this morning, particularly not stealing from ourselves the prosperity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the prosperity gospel as preached by Americans is filled with liars and thieves who are stealing money from people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a problem that they're so wrong and so evil that everyone thinks we are them in the first place. And then we won't even talk about the actual benefits of Christianity because that's law or, or something. But love is real. And it's from Jesus to you, and it's from you to your family, and it's from your family to your neighbors. And that means not, I feel great about everybody. It means my neighbor's a jerk, but I'm going to be good anyway. That's love. And that's real prosperity. Don't feel like it at the time, let me tell you. you know, when you're getting the, eating the crow, it does not feel like prosperity. <laughs> but when you humble yourself in the sight of Jesus Christ, he tends to lift up the path around you. And what you find is while you might not have riches falling out of the sky, you stand in a broad place. Your feet are secure. You know who you are. You know who your God is. And that's the big promise. I want to give it to you today from Micah chapter 4, where I think it's pretty clear that the promises to the Jews 
are also the promises to the Gentiles, as Paul says in Romans chapter 15, and that this, in fact, impacts how we live together now because we get to trust in the God who acts in time by answering prayer. And Micah chapter 4 is just a, a giant thesis on, hey, everybody, you stopped praying, and now it's getting bad. Given to the Hebrews at a time that we're fairly familiar with here. Let's go ahead and just turn to Micah uh, chapter 4 while you're listening to me talk. Whatever Bible you want to find it in. Again, I'll be working from the uh, New King James here, which I contest is the best, English. Uh, the time, you know this time period, because we spent a lot of time working on it the last couple of years. Uh, the name Hezekiah should really at least ring a bell at this point, right? And that the idea that there's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom, and that the north is destroyed by Assyria, but that the southern kingdom is saved by Hezekiah's prayer, Judah is saved, but not exactly. Jerusalem is saved. Judah is crushed. Judah is pillaged and destroyed. And anyone who gets into Jerusalem is saved. And they come back out and they find the people who were hiding and they, they rebuild under Hezekiah. Yeah. And then later, of course, Judah will fall away again. Many kings come. But Babylon will take away Judah finally once and for all until there is a restoration of all Israel. Uh, hundreds of years later, 70 years later, excuse me, um, which then is about 500 years, give or take, before Christ comes. Okay, That history is important. It's going gonna, it's gonna to apply a little bit here. Micah is serving under the kings who precede Hezekiah and then during Hezekiah. And what he's talking about is how bad the country has gotten. Now, just, I'm not going to try to put the pieces for you together today here, Americans. But I tell you, if you can't see it, I don't know how to help you. All right. He's going to talk about how bad the country has gotten, how there isn't really any hope anymore anywhere, and how the major problem is that nobody really believes this is because we've turned away from God. Everyone thinks it's some other thing. And from there, he's going to say to them that, what, is there no one among you who can call out to God? Is it so bad that you don't think God can fix it? And the result of this in history, of course, is going to be Hezekiah, who does call it to God, and the destruction doesn't come. And yet Micah will also tell us that it won't last. The destruction will come. You'll forget to pray again, and there will come a king who doesn't, and Babylon will, will take them all away. But that after that, Micah's going to say this, after that, they're going to be brought back to the land, and the promise is going to be for the whole world. And that's us. So if there's a key to take out of today's preaching from me, it is that, what I said a moment ago, it once upon a time was the Jews, but now it's the Christians. And it doesn't matter at all what your bloodline or your heritage is. All that matters is that you believe the Bible. <laughs> there's our idols from last week. All that you believe matters is that you believe the Bible is true, that you seek that truth, and that it comes out of you, which at the end of the day, it will teach you, you didn't do that. God did that. You get to experience it. You get to live it. Yeah. And these promises, again, are not merely that we're going to die and go to heaven. That is not the promise of Christianity. You get to die and go to heaven now. If you die tonight, where will you go? Heaven or hell, right? The old sales pitch at the, store, at the door. Good American style. It's so much more than this. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the life in the kingdom. Today he could return. Today he may leave me to suffer in love. All of that is good now. Why would I say, save me from that? Why would I not say, glorify your name in my life, Lord Jesus? 
And that's a path of power, I'll tell you. If you can get to that moment where your enemy's talking and instead of save me, it's what could I do for good? When that happens, when God builds that in you through the words themselves, it's the words themselves, you will find that you're just not as afraid. It just happens. It, but it's like a muscle, right? You ever try to build a muscle when you haven't used it for a while? It doesn't work tomorrow, does it? So it's eating too, right? It's your diet, it's your nutrition. Micah's gonna give us a big thrust of what this can feel like for us. And I don't think I'm even gonna have to, again, tie the tail on the donkey for you to see how much power Christians have in America right now to be the future of America right now by asking Jesus. Right now. Micah 4. Now it shall come to pass in latter days at the mountain of Jesus' house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and peoples shall flow to it. Of course, you can see the picture of the final day. Of course, all of this will not be completed until the final day. And so great Mount Zion with one temple and the tree of life blooming in every season with different fruit and the water of living water flowing down from the throne and no sun and stars, but Jesus, okay, the mountain's coming. But don't miss the fact that right now, the mountain of Jesus Christ's house is established right here in this building as a picture of this bread and wine, which is him going inside of you. You are Mount Zion now. You are the temple of the house of Jesus Christ now because you are a member of his body. So again, I don't mean to say what they call realized eschatology, that everything Micah says, we should expect to like just be able to snap our fingers and have perfection. But I do think that it is started already through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we're already there. Just no one else can see it yet. But he says so. Many nations shall come. There's the Gentiles. There's us. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Jesus, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. I mean, you did that this morning. The alarm clock went off. You say, we're going to go to church and Jesus is going to teach us his word. That's it. That's it. This is the promise of the gospel right now that Jesus has made you his disciple. That's his choice. He's brought that word to you now and you're here to hear it. It goes on, for out of Zion, the law shall shine forth and the word of Jesus from Jerusalem, right? Go into all nations, baptizing and teaching. It's like a direct fulfillment. Huh? He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations far off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And well, of course, that will not be perfectly fulfilled in this life. But what is, I think, fairly clear from history is that when Christian thinking, when Christian law, the Ten Commandments, undergird nation states, they don't fight with each other as much. They just don't because they actually value human life. When you don't value human life, as all pagans eventually must do, well, then fighting between nations is, uh, how did Stalin say it? Uh, one death is a catastrophe. A million deaths is a statistic. Yeah, that's how they feel about us up at the top often, I think. That said, the promise that the word will go forth from Jerusalem to change the lives of men so that we would prefer to work with each other rather than to steal from each other. I don't think we have to wait for that. 
I do think we have to wait for, you know, no swords anymore ever. You know, I'm not saying get rid of cops, right? Uh, I'm just saying that Christians are peaceable people. And we should believe that we can, in fact, build peaceable places. That's what it says, right? But everyone shall sit under his vine, under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. Notice, it's not everyone shall have his own mansion and three boats, right? It's you got your yard and you can take care of it and you're actually happy with that. I'll tell you, you don't have to wait for that either. That's here today. That's here today. Yeah. Now again, picture the future. Don't let me take from you. This is a promise that begins with salvation in your heart today through faith alone. So you learn to see the world rightly and ends with your resurrection. Okay. All that is coming. I, I will not, I'm not denying it. The, the problem of the prosperity gospel, so-called, is that it is usually preaching the end of time as if you can get it today. And that's the danger in what I'm talking about, that you could hear me saying that. And that's why Lutherans never talk about this. <laughs> but if we don't talk about this, then we don't have any hope. We can't believe that it's actually good to just go home and mow my yard today. That's enough. That's enough. And I can rejoice in that. Maybe not today, of course, right? <laughs> Whether as it is. But you follow, I think, yes? Uh, and uh, for, why are we not afraid? The mouth of Jesus has spoken. Jesus of hosts, right? The one who commands the armies. Now it turns into a part to talk about what's going on around. It probably should be the break should come here. Um, what's the world of the Jews at this time looking like? All people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of Jesus Christ, our God, forever and ever. So the reason you can go home when the world is falling apart and just mow your lawn, kiss your kids goodnight, go to bed and wake up and see what comes is because you know that Jesus Christ is the one behind you that you're walking in his name, that his mouth has spoken for you. And so the rest of the world following idols, it is going to fall apart. It is. They are going to tear it down with their own hands. But God's not going to tear down your house. You heard the other part. He will take a bull from your fields. That was all about offerings. He's like, when you bring money, you're not bringing money. You're demonstrating that you know I'm going to give you money, right? A, a different topic a little bit, but kind of connected to the same thing. That walking in the name of Jesus Christ means that all that matters is this moment. Because I don't know if there's any more coming. I could have a stroke and die. I don't know. And so what am I waiting for? What am I holding on to? And why am, I afraid, why am I afraid of three years from now or something like that, right? Why does that drive us? It, because we've been blinded again by the present going forward. Verse six, in that day, says Jesus, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So Jesus will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and even forever. Again, that's just a promise to the church uh, that, that not many of you are powerful, that not many of you are going to be the wealthiest people in the world, that not many of us are going to be the greatest minds that there ever were, but that that's okay. That that's okay. That Jesus will assemble us together and in his name, he will reign over us. And even though the idols of the world are going to tear themselves down around us, again, He's going to make us strong. You hear about the collapse of this, that, or other possible thing. You think that must be bad for me. Jesus promises it will make you stronger in him. In him doesn't mean richer, right? It doesn't mean always happier, stronger, more attuned with the truth. Verse eight, 
And you, O tower of the flock, the daughter, excuse me, uh, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, I mean, that's a really interesting promise. Uh, it certainly will be about the restoration of Hezekiah's kingdom, right? The Judah isn't finished yet. Um, but it's also talking about, again, this going forward to the whole world, to the nations. So I want you to consider specifically, when you see the phrase daughter of Zion in the Bible, Understand that to now definitely mean Christianity. And Zion would have been Old Testament Christianity. So that we are the daughter of that which came before Christ. And now if you can see that and then look at this section again about how the stronghold of the daughter of Zion shall come to us, even the former dominion. This is a promise to Christians that we do have the capacity to reign in Christ. What do I mean? I mean, when you take ownership of whatever is around you and you use it for God, he tends to give you control over it in a good way and maybe more. And that when peoples do this as a whole, when congregations and church bodies and even what towns and states do this as a whole, the men who arise from their midst to the top make for good times. They make for peace and prosperity in the human and very temporal way, which we all know we kind of need. Right, And it promises, again, we have that as Christians. It doesn't mean any man can say, well, I, therefore, shall be king of America. And I will say, no, 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 no. no. It means pray for the restoration of a Christian America. And then wait, believing it will come. And look at what comes next. It's really quite something how it goes. Um, uh, let's see here. Verse nine, uh, why do you cry aloud? This is interesting. Is there no king in your midst? Hezekiah is in their midst. You know, he can repent. And when the king repents, it makes a difference. Ah, uh, let's see if we can get this here. Far better than praying that, and I'll just pick one because he's famous and it'll make the point. Far better than praying that Donald Trump would be the next president. Why don't you pray that Donald Trump becomes a fervent Christian? Imagine what that would do to the world right now. He just starts talking about Jesus all the time. Can we pray for that? I'm going to pray for you know, our government this morning out loud, right? Think of Donald then. Pray for his soul. Pray for Joe's soul. I don't know who could get to him. I don't know if he could listen right now. I don't know. But that's who we are. And believing that the conversion of the elite is indeed something that can happen rather than we have to somehow fix it ourselves. Like, ask Jesus. You don't even have to be there. We can be right here and it can all happen with other Christians somewhere else. And we can just keep on going with our lives. That's in fact the promise. Yeah, that's the promise. Why do you cry out? Is there no king? Have you no counselor? Uh, for pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. You're too afraid. You're too worried about what's happening. Be in pain, he says, right? Stop trying to stop it. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field and to Babylon you shall go. So here again, he's jumping ahead. Hezekiah will pray and they will be saved. He's like, no, 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 you're going out. I'm destroying what you think is going to last. It's not going to last. It's going to be destroyed there in the destruction. Babylon, you will be delivered. Again, for the modern Christian, this is whatever destruction may come, don't worry about it. 
in the midst of it, Jesus will provide the path for you. And that can be everything from you live through it and help build up the church after whatever to you die today, maybe, because any of us could for any given reason. I do... I do hear more stories, by the way. There's lots of stories on the TV, lots of stories on the news, lots of stuff people say died suddenly and all that. I try not to put too much stock in any of it, except for the ones that I hear from you. And there's a lot of extended death going on right now. Too many cancers. Expect it to get bad for a bit, maybe. And know that they're, you shall be delivered. There, you shall be delivered. Jesus will redeem you, it says, from the hand of your enemies. Right? You feel like you're in their clutches, but you're not. You think that you're surrounded by the devil, but you're not. Jesus has you. And there's nothing for you to do. Nothing. It's just true. It's just true. And that stirs faith. Faith then gives you something to do. Ask for more. <laughs> Ask for more. Yeah. Verse 11. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled and let her eye look upon Zion. I, I will say this. I, I debated whether I should say this today. Um, many nations have gathered against you. I don't know. You know, the news is all about Israel and Hamas and all that kind of stuff. But in the last couple of weeks, I have, I have noticed, you know, Rockford, we have a homeless problem, right? We, we know that already. Um, as part of South Chicago, Illinois' way of dealing with the homeless, which is to not care about them and shuffle them off to money programs where they can make more and the politicians go on, right? Let's kill some babies. That, that's a problem, okay? That's a problem we've had a long time. Uh, it's not changing. Uh, we're going to pray for it, yeah? But it seems to me, and again, I'm just watching my actual streets. There's another thing happening, and I'm going to call it the migration of ethnically diverse adult males with giant bags. I've only seen a couple, but there's news about millions. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that even though the nations have gathered against me to say, let me be defiled, they don't know the thoughts of Jesus. Nor do they understand his counsel. And I do. For they will gather, he will gather them like sheep to the threshing floor. Now, that is the funny thing right there. Anytime you think you're surrounded by some great amount of whatever, Jesus says, I'm gathering them to thresh them. I'm bringing them to you to thresh them. How's that going to happen? I believe in Jesus, you're going to say. Some will believe, some will not. Those who don't believe go to hell. Those who believe are saved now. So if the Christians are so worried about all the immigration, let me just suggest, I don't know, but we probably can't stop it. Why don't we get ready to convert them? I mean, it sounds like they're coming to us, right? We have to send missionaries overseas. They're coming to us. And I don't care who they are. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what language they speak. I know that he is risen. Hallelujah. And that is power. That's a power that's here in our midst to keep us a people, no matter what else may come. And that the promises of God are that this is always going to be for our good. Look what it says next, verse 13. They're surrounded and about to be destroyed. He says, get up and thresh. You know, maybe that doesn't hit us as non-farmers, right? Like you spend all fall uh, gathering the sheaves with these big knives. You got to cut it down with knives. Forget the tractors, right? And you pull them into this barn. And you don't have a nice machine to make all the seeds fall out and all that stuff. You got to like throw it in the air over and over and over again. Talk about backbreaking work. And they figured out 
if they could make a wind tunnel through, the, the, the chaff would blow out the window, and then they burned it out there, and the floor, the threshing floors, where all the, the wheat fell, and you gather that, and then, then you eat it, right? And, and Jesus says, so get up and do that now. And he's talking about the people around you, probably the ones you're most afraid of, who can be yours through Christ. That is, they are yours to care for. They are yours to rebuke. They are yours to love. And that's going to be different for each of us and each of them in every relationship we have. I'll be happy to answer questions about personal troubles anytime you want to ask them of me, and I'll try to give you some advice. But I suggest, again, this is not the time to cower and believe that we're about to fall apart, even if the world around us does. Yeah. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their gain to Jesus and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. And that's the promise that after they repent and believe, not only will they reign, but they will bring into submission others to the great kingdom of Jesus Christ. Hezekiah has this happen. Huh? And then it happens again with Zerubbabel when they do go back to the land. And it's happened time and time again. Every time a Christian becomes a Christian, it happens. Every time a Christian remembers you are a Christian, it happens. The spirit descends. The kingdom is alive. The word of God is here. That is prosperity. And I hope it's rest for your souls. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Please rise for prayer.